Welcome along to the Final Frontline Podcast. I'm Emma Kennedy. It is great to have your company ahead of a fantastic weekend of racing. The classics at the Curra for Irish Guineas weekend. We've got some top class racing in the UK as well. Haydock is where we're going to begin. Uh, and as always, as we're previewing the weekend's racing from Timeform, Mark Milligan is alongside me. Hello, Mark. Hello, Emmett. It's good to be here again. Once again, I think to apologise every week for this, but my, my, my voice is still not up to the standard one would expect expect having become very ill three weeks ago i'm still suffering the after effects of this dreaded virus cold whatever it was i had so uh, again apologies if my voice starts to wane at any point i have got copious amounts of fluid next to me to drink on demand let me tell you something i'm just so disappointed in you how dare you come on this show sick why can't you just overdose on Exputex and get yourself better. I like the way you're just starting out with this. I'm really sorry for being sick. It's not like you can control it, Mark. It's not like you can tell your body, listen, for the next two hours, no coughing, no sickness, no sore throat. Thanks very much. We'll kick on. Uh, I don't think that the sore throat is going to stop you from heading to pulp this weekend, though, is it? No, pulp, pulp on... Friday evening, um, uh, Jarvis Cocker, of course, who is a, a famous Sheffield Wednesday fan, and no doubt he'll be at Wembley on Monday cheering on the uh, the Blue and White Wizards, as will our throat, or no sore throat. It's finally time for the mighty Sheffield Wednesday to get out of League One. Are you going to win? Yes. There, I've said it. <laughs> I probably won't be as confident on, on Monday afternoon, but I'm, I'm all right at the moment. <laughs> Um, so you've got Sheffield Wednesday, uh, you've got a top-class weekend of racing, and you've got These Boys Live, all to look forward to. That's, that's a pretty decent weekend, if you ask me. Speaking of catching someone's eye, we've got a guest on the show who I'm sure is going to have a huge say on what's going to happen over the weekend's racing. Uh, welcome back to the Final Front Podcast, Kate Harrington. Thank you very much, Emmett. Sun is shining. You all set for a huge weekend? Uh, yes, really looking forward to it. Finally, um, the rain has eventually stopped in Ireland and we finally got some good ground. And, uh, you know, our Guineas hopes for the weekend, they've been waiting for the good ground all spring. And it hasn't materialised. We mightn't have had the prep races we wanted with them, but um, it's great now that they've finally got it, and let's hope um, we've got them there spot on. Well, the yard is in tremendous form. Five winners in the last two weeks, including Gimme the Beat Boys, who's going to go in the six furlong gain Marble Hill Stakes. It's a race you won in 2017 with Beauty Amigo. How has he come out of his debut win? Yes, he's come out of that very, very well. To be honest, whenever I look back on that race, I still question how the hell did he win the race because... Um, he was, had a lot to do with a furlong to go. And as soon as he met the rising ground at Navin, which was the best of the ground, the driest of the ground that day, he took off. So I'm really excited to see this horse on a bit of real good ground. You know, it hasn't been too long since his race in Navin. And uh, we've just kept him ticking over. He did a nice breeze with Shane on Tuesday. And Olivia breezed in there this morning. She was very, very happy with him. And uh, he's got a nice draw on number three. And he'd been an unrunner on, on suitable ground, uh, soft ground, on two previous starts, but it was basically soft ground the other day. Were you just forced into getting him out with a view to getting him ready for this weekend? Well, in, in some respects, you'd think, uh, I kind of thought that 
it, he'd need the drying ground up that hill at Navin and um, I thought he might appreciate it. It was drying out a bit and it didn't dry out quite as much as I wanted to that day, but it was definitely better than soft, but at least it wasn't heavy that day. Yeah, he looks a really exciting one. Well bought too. I think it was a 12 grand purchase. Uh, which is nothing compared to the, how the sales are going this week. Um, in the first classic of the weekend, the Irish 2000 Guineas, you've got two runners. Kerr Shamar was very impressive on his second start, winning a maiden and, and the all-weather at Dundalk. And the runner-up has since gone in for the Aidan O'Brien yard. How has his work been? Yeah, his work has been very good. He's been en- he also has been entered up in a few race, in a few trials since that um, win up in Dundalk, but the ground hasn't been suitable. And then we were running out of time. So we opted to just give him a couple of race course gallops and get him on the grass um, at the Curra as well. And uh, he's been very, very good in his work and um, really feel we have him in tip-top shape. He's got a lovely German pedigree and Shane Foley will ride. Uh, Bull Discovery, he's got a beautiful American dirt pedigree and ran really well on his debut this season behind Hans Anderson, but then disappointed behind his rival in the Irish Guineas, Paddington on soft ground at the Curra. What are you expecting from him under Billy Lee? Yes, this horse, um, he scoped dirty um, actually after that run behind Paddington. If you take the race for a long half down, I, I felt it was only a matter of Shane having to go press the go button, but he didn't pick up at all. He had a dirty scope and we investigated a little bit further. We found out he had a few allergies. We've also addressed those allergies with him. I feel this horse had a very good um, gallop at Leopardstown last Friday. Um, he's come on a ton from that. It was the first time we've actually got him on a bit of nice ground and he really relished it. Um, and every day he's improving. Um, obviously with that allergies, you know, he's taken just a while to come right. But um, each day he's improving and uh, Billy Lee takes the right. And by Baltoro out of an archmare, like the good ground really should suit that American pedigree. Yes, it really should. And, you know, he's a lovely horse and whatever he does, with having that little bit of setback after the last race. Um, I don't think we're going to be short, but I think whatever he does at the weekend, he's going to improve again from it, and he's going to horse that um, we're not going to see the best of until the middle part of the season. Bold discovery, very much a horse to keep on the right side of. Uh, you won the 1,000 guineas in 2018, and this year you've got eternal silence from Moyglare, a daughter of Warfront. She's a maiden, but she ran an absolute blinder in the Moyglare, went third behind the favourite and second favourite. Uh, how are you feeling about her preparation for the 1,000 guineas? Yes, a bit like um, Quara Shamar. You know, we've had this filly entered up in a few maidens um, throughout the spring, and uh, the ground just didn't come right for her. And she's a filly that we've been dying to get on quick, quick ground and be with, be with that pedigree, the war front of the um, Archmarch. You know, she's going to... Um, keep on. She's going to really see the best of her when she gets to the good ground. Uh, she her preparation's been faultless. Um, we just couldn't get the ground right for her. There was no point running in a maiden on heavy ground and uh, tearing the heart out of her where we know she has the ability. So it would be the fairy tale story if she could go break her maiden in a classic. And she ran on really well once she faced the hill at the Curra. Uh, on just her third start in Group One Company, and this distance of a mile is going to really suit her as well. Yeah, I feel she really, it really will suit her. Very happy with her. Shane's been delighted with her with her work. Um, she did a breeze at the Curry yesterday. Um, I just the one thing I just hope she's not going to. Um, she could be a little bit fresh on Sunday, but uh, I feel she's going there 110. percent Well, staying with Sunday and Moy Glare and a 
horse who's just had her comeback run. Uh, that's Truvance. Very impressive on her seasonal debut last year uh, and then went on to win a Group 3 and a Group 2 in Paris Longchamp. How is her prep been going since her comeback at the Curragh? Um, her, yes, she's been very good. She ran a lovely race that day. Oh, she took a big blow. She's going to come on from it. It looks a very, very hot renewal of the Tattersall's Gold Cup. Um, we'd be very happy if she ran on to a place. Um, this filly, her main aim for the first part of the season is the Pretty Polly um, on Derby weekend. So this is just another stepping stone towards that. And uh, we did have an option to go to Saint Cloud, but we just felt we wanted to keep her at home for the first part of the season. Um, and then potentially after um, the Pretty Polly, we'll go traveling with her. She has a few entries in Germany, in France, and um, it's all about trying to pick up that Elusa. She's won a group three, she's won a group two, and uh, trying to get that group one. But uh, I'm not sure it will be. She'll have to do a serious career best for it to be at the weekend, but it's, it's uh, a stepping stone towards the Pretty Polly on Derby weekend. We'll keep that in mind, and it is looking like the hottest Tattersalls Gold Cup for some time, so we're looking forward to that for sure. Uh, finally, you've got Pivotal Trigger, who won a Galway Maiden and was third, beaten only a length in a Parry Longchamp Group 3 last year, making his three-year-old comeback in the Galanul Stakes. Yes, we have um, him in that. Um, we'll have a look and um, see what the ground is like. He was meant to run in Common there a month ago, but the grip meeting got pulled up, which is a bit unfortunate. But, you know, this this Colt's done very well over the winter. Um, it's kind of a matter, do we... Um, drop him into group three companies straight up but he is eligible to run in that rescheduled meeting on tuesday which we gave him an entry for today so we'll just see um where we go and what the ground does um at the weekend and finally kate and a far more important question to ask you how is your mother doing uh, my mom's doing great and um, she had her operation there um, in the early part of the week she's coming out of hospitals this afternoon a day early and um, of course she's telling the doctors that they're, she's a hundred she's all good and um, but no mum's got a great attitude she's got through her chemo she's got over this next hurdle and um, she's just got one more hurdle to go get through her radiotherapy uh, in a, which she starts in a month's time but she's in great form and um, I think she's nearly been onto the phone to me about five or six times this morning making making sure after every lot making sure everything's going smoothly that generation has just made a sterner stuff because i went through it with my mother and i i it's it's tough for us because we want to be able to do something and really you can't all you can do is be a support system but i don't know how they fought the battles they have and have come out on the other side of it it's just it's something about that generation i think yes it certainly is and you know it's all about trying to my mother definitely is trying to keep her keep her quiet and not do too much. But, but uh, no, it's very difficult to try get her to do that. But she, um, she, you never know. She could make a surprise appearance at the car at the weekend. I wouldn't be in the least bit surprised. And that would be strongly against doctor's orders. But there's no stopping them. There's just no stopping them, Kate. Uh, we wish her the very best. And, and please God, she will be out and about at the Curra and other race courses very, very soon. Um, Kate, if there was one horse that you could snatch from any other trainer that's running an Irish Guineas weekend to have them join the Harrington stable who would it be oh that is a tough that's a tough question um you'd have to I suppose um the Dermot Wells tar, uh, I'm gonna pronounce her name to Guinea, the Guineas hope, and um, you know she was very unlucky in the English Guineas. Uh, you'd love to, you'd love to have me going into um, the weekend with her, but I wouldn't trade Eternal Silence either. 
you'll notice something uh, about how I'm pronouncing her name on the show this weekend. I'm basically just saying the favourite in the 1,000 guineas. It's just the simplest way of doing it, Kate. Yeah, simplest way of doing it. But I did notice that you were still quite bullish about your Moiglair horse, Eternal Silence, as well. So we'll, we'll very much keep that in mind. Uh, Kate, best of luck yeah. for the weekend. And uh, please, God, we'll be talking to you ahead of Royal Ascot about more winners to come. Great. Thank you very much. Kate Harrington giving us her view on the Harrington Stables runners at the Curra over the weekend. And they've got some pretty exciting horses to unleash. Uh, some pretty exciting horses for us to get stuck into, Mark. The first race you want to talk about is the 225. It's the Betfred Silver Bowl Handicap, live on ITV4 and on Racing TV. And in this race, you're going back to the same source who produced a horse in this race that you were unbelievably bullish about. And time disclosed that you were correct because the horse would go on to prove himself to be a group horse and handicap, but unfortunately not on this particular day. Uh, but you think this is going to be rectified tomorrow? Yeah, mighty Ulysses last year in this particular race. It might, might even have been my final furlong podcast debut. I think it was. Um, if I remember rightly. And like you say, I was very, very bullish about mighty Ulysses. Unfortunately, he didn't have the best ride on the day from Benoit de la Sayette. I'm not going to criticise Benoit de la Sayette too much because he's a, a tremendous jockey, but Curvy representing the same trainer, John Jonathan Gosden, different ownership and a different jockey. Frankie de Tori is on board for the Silver Bowl handicap here and Covey has been mightily impressive on his last two starts, Newcastle and Newmarket. It's fair to say he hasn't beaten a lot in either of them, but the style in which he's done it suggests this son of Frankel. I've had him down for the last month or, or two for group races. I thought that was where he was going to be heading. To see him rock up here, in an admittedly valuable handicap off a mark of 90, for me, I'm very, very excited about that. He could he could be way, way ahead of that mark. And, and dare I say it, the proverbial group horse in a handicap. Again, be very disappointed if Kobe doesn't go close off that sort of um, handicap mark here. Yeah, that opening mark of 90 does seem to be... It seems to be fair, shall we say, and probably... <laughs> Massively underestimating him. Um, would you see James McHenry as the debut, as the Danish by any chance? Yeah, I would imagine so. He's uh, a horse who's very much on the upgrade himself. And and Ed Bethel's had a tremendous start to the flat season. This horse has been in flying form. Whether he's got as much in hand from his mark of 91 as Covey has from his mark of 90 remains to be seen. But he's definitely up there on the shortlist. Yeah, he was my he was my tentative pick. I don't have a strong view on this race, but if I did, he would have been the one I was going for. And then you come along and insist we talk about this race and make such a strong case for Kofi that it's all about Frankie Dettori uh, and the Gosden team. Now, if you are backing August Roden to win the Derby, you are clearly putting all of your faith in Aidan O'Brien, the best, the goat, the best trainer in the business that he can get that horse back to key fitness and have him peaked on the day. Well, you'll get a fair good indication of August Roden's ability to do that with three horses that Aidan O'Brien is going to run this weekend. Little Big Bear has to turn around a 24-length last defeat in the Irish in the 2000 Guineas in the Sandy Lane Stakes. We'll talk about him in a second. 
uh, Meditate was lapped in the 1,000 guineas. She comes out uh, and has to try to rebuild, and Luxembourg was fairly underwhelming on his comeback. And he'll be going for Group 1 company as well. So this will tell you how these or if these horses are able to come back and, and win, then maybe he can do the same thing in the Derby. But it'll be an interesting comparison to make. Uh, Little Big Bear is the one we'll begin with. He's now a strong favourite uh, for the Betfred Nifty 50 Sandy Lane Stakes Group 2. Frankie Dettori is going to ride. Obviously, Frankie's had great success with Aidan O'Brien on the few occasions where they've actually teamed up together. 13-8. Uh, to eight. Brad Sell for Archie Watson and Holly Doyle, 7-2. to two. Uh, Aldazam is an 8-1 to one shot. And Cole Case, 5-1 to one for Carl Burke and Clifford Lee. Is Little Big Bear going to get back into the winner's enclosure in the Sandy Lane Stakes, Mark Milligan? Well, he should do if he rocks up with the sort of form he was showing as a juvenile. He was way ahead uh, of everything else as a two-year-old. He ended up being time forms top-rated two-year-old of the season. On official ratings, he's got £10 and more in hand of this field. I think we can put a line through the Guineas run. He was reported to have returned lame there, so I think he had a, a plausible excuse. Interesting that they've decided to drop back to sprinting because we were both of the opinion that we'd like to have seen him have another go at a mile, weren't we? But well, I thought they were going to do that because because he wasn't in the Greenlands. We said this only, what, Sunday? That maybe, I, I kid you not, as soon as that podcast went live, the Aidan O'Brien fan site tweeted, Little Big Bear goes to Haydock for the sprint. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> I thought we were, I thought we had it all, it all fixed. Um, there might very well be a reason as to why they're not going for the Irish 2000 guineas, and it might be because of who's going to represent them. But we'll come back to that in, in a few minutes. Um, I am surprised that they haven't rolled the dice with them again over a mile. It's, it's very quick to just draw the conclusion that, oh, he's a sprinter and that's it. But they did kind of intimate that last year. Like, there were similar quotes from, from Aiden to when George Washington was going for the 2,000 guineas. Like, I'll believe it when I see it, if he can get a mile, um, and, and those kind of things. And Blackbeard has been retired. So the the natural sprinter in the yard isn't necessarily there. I still think the Antarctic can be a big player in the Commonwealth Cup, but this is interesting. Um, and look, if he is... If he's able to show the brilliance that he demonstrated as a juvenile, then he's going to win. Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on. That that's the if though, isn't it? It's it's whether you're prepared to take the chance on him at, at what's a relatively short price. Now, for me, I'm more than happy to write off that that new market run. The ground was bad. He he returned lame. I, I just don't think when you you're analysing Little Big Bear's form in the round that you can take any notice of that new market run at all he's already proven last season that he was a lot better than bradsell bradsell was also beaten by cold case on his return at ascot so those two have interlocking form lines for me this is little big bears race to lose the the really interesting one in the race for me and he's perhaps more interesting to me than he would be normally because he's been running at maydan and maydan is obviously a, a track that I take an awful lot of notice at through the winter, is Al Dasim. And he did nothing but improve out there for George Bowie before he just found it a bridge too far, I think, in the Alquaz sprint against his elders 
last time. A culmination of three possibly quick races out there and taking on the strongest opposition that he'd faced probably was enough to do for him there. He's had a little break, and it wouldn't surprise me at all for Little Big Bear to win this, and I'll das him who's the one to chase him home. I was really disappointed with him at mid-end that day. He just looked as though there were a lot of things in his favour and it didn't happen for him. Um, but maybe he, he bounces back, uh, absolutely. Maybe he'll he'll replicate that form. He was very good here. Uh, he'd been bolting up in, in novices at the all-weather, but Maidan, he was just a completely different racehorse um, and, and got himself up to a mark of 112, I think, there. He's back down to 109 now. It doesn't really matter for a group race. Um, I'm very intrigued in Cold Case. Uh, and I wonder what you think of him uh, in terms of days since a run. Uh, it's 24 days by the time this race comes around. He's run four times between a break of 15 and 25 days, won three and placed. He's raced once on good to firm ground. That was his debut. He was only beaten the neck in a four-runner race. And he did it really nicely on his comeback. He progressed very nicely the whole way through as a juvenile. But that was a career best effort in his comeback in a group three for his three-year-old debut at Ascot. I believe he'd had a setback training only a month prior to that as well. So the fact that he won in the manner that he did was quite impressive. Uh, the drier ground seemed to bring out improvement for him. Being a showcasing, he shouldn't have too much of a problem on good to firm ground, which is what the forecast is. And Karl Bark has won this race twice in the last five years, including with quite reflection, who went on to win the Commonwealth Cup for him. So he would need to improve on what he's done so far to get to Little Big Bear's level. But if Little Big Bear is still a little bit rusty, or if, God forbid, he just hasn't trained on, which I don't think is the case, um, then I think Cold Case could be the one to, to really put it up to him. And at 5-1, to one, I think that's a, that's a reasonable each-way alternative. And it's probably the way I'm going to go. As much as I really like Little Big Bear, I don't know if I want to be getting stuck into him at 13 to 8. Uh, whereas a progressive young sprinter who's coming forward representing a really talented trainer, I think at five to one cold case might be the way I'll go here. What do you make of his prospects? I think he's interesting because although he won on his reappearance in that pavilion at Ascot, he still looked a little bit rusty himself, didn't he? Mm. He didn't look like he was going to win, certainly about over a furlong out, but he found plenty for pressure, didn't he? and managed to get on top. I think he'll come on again for that run. We've got him on a, a rating of 110. I think the scope for him to improve beyond that. But at the same time, obviously had Bradsell back in third in that Ascot race. I think Bradsell shaped very much there as if he was in need of the runs. I imagine he'll get closer to cold case this time. Look, it, it's like you say, isn't it, that he needs to improve to get to Little Big Bear's level. But we're talking a level that Little Big Bear was achieving last season. And for all the excuses at Newmarket, he's still got to go out and prove he's, he's the same horse, hasn't he? For what it's worth, I think he will. Um, but it remains to be seen. Yep. I would love to see Little Big Bear bounce back. I think it would be tremendously exciting if we've got him as a hot favourite for the Commonwealth Cup and then what he can do in the sprinting division later in the season, the July Cup and onwards. Um, do you want to take 13 days? Like the 5-2 to two during the week really interested me. Did I take advantage of that 5-2? to two? Did I insert colourful language? Um, so I, I just... Look, if, if, was, if he was to drift Saturday morning 
Saturday afternoon, which might very well happen, uh, then yeah, all systems go. But at the prices, I'll, I'll side with cold case. Um, is Aldasim your retail alternative? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I, I think Little Big Bear will win, but anyone who wants to throw in Aldasim each way with the, the dead eight or even in a straight forecast, uh, certainly you don't want to be sleeping on him. I think he's a better horse than he showed at uh, Maidan last time. Yeah, oh, for sure he is. Um, absolutely he is. Just whether or not he can bounce back at Haydock, you think he can? I'm with Cold Case, and we're both very much afraid of Little Big Bear. Uh, the Flying Five. Betfred Temple Stakes Group 2. Who who do you like here as we see the return of the Platinum Queen after being bought for an absolute fortune? Uh, dramatized, royal acclaim. Number of really talented horses here. Who do you like, Mark? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, I think, because we've got certainly towards the head of the betting two three-year-old fillies, haven't we, in the Platinum Queen and Dramatized, who were both, they were really, really good sprinting two-year-olds, weren't they? For me, I'm not absolutely convinced. I want to be with a three-year-old filly at this time of year against grizzled old sprinters, even at this sort of level. And the Platinum Queen, she has to carry penalty as well so as a three-year-old filly she's only getting for instance if you look at twilight calls she's only getting six pounds off twilight calls who's two years older than her and he's a bigger stronger horse and he was unlucky in this race last year and he'll be my selection to go one better now i have to confess i wasn't particularly enamored with his comeback run at Newmarket last time, but we've seen it numerous times since that Newmarket Guineas meeting. That the ground was just a mess, wasn't it? That yeah. weekend. Let's be perfectly honest. They, they cocked up. The ground was a mess. And we've seen lots of horses come out since then and run really well and put poor efforts at Newmarket on that ground behind them. Twilight Calls was unlucky in this race last year. He should have beaten Kingsley and he got into a bit of trouble, finished off really well. He then finished second to the Aussie Buzzsaw Nature Strip, didn't he, in the King's Stand. That, for me, is the single best piece of form in this entire race. And if he reproduces that, he'll take plenty of stopping here, I think. Okay, Twilight Calls uh, for you, Connor Beasley, on board for Henry Candy. I very much agree with you. I think a lot of these horses having their comeback run, the likes of Dramatized and the Platinum Queen uh, and Royal Acclaim for that matter, this might just be a tricky race for their comeback against horses who are battle-hardened and race fit. Uh, and the one that I was really drawn to was Live the Dream for Adam Weston and uh, Sean Curran. I, I don't think Adam has trained a winner at Haydock yet. Now, he hasn't had many runners there, uh, but this fella can do it for him. Yard's been in good form. I think he's operating at 18%, is that right? Yeah, 11 runners, two winners in the last couple of days. Um, the trainer-jockey combination is 25%. He, he's a bit of a rocket, this fella. I mean, that's clearly something that applies to the Platinum Queen, but this guy is as well. And he's been improving steadily the whole way through. And yeah, he came unstuck last time at Newmarket, but we've just talked about how bad the ground was that day. Like, he... I suspect it was an awful lot worse than the official soft ground that he won on at Pontefract the time before. 
I thought he did really well to get as close as he did under the circumstances. They retain big plans for him, and rightly so. And I think there's a lot to like about him coming into this race, particularly the price. We're getting a very, very fair price of about nine to one. Um, I, I really like his prospects there. Uh, I'm not in love with the draw. It's not terrible. It's not like you can't win from that that stall, but I would prefer a I prefer a lower draw. I think the profitable win from twelve a few years ago, Batash. Well, Batash was Batash. Uh, in fairness, but it tends to be. It's not it's not a brilliant draw, but we're we're getting a fair price to overcome that. And and at nine to one, I'll roll the dice with him. Uh, live the dream for the three thirty at Haydock. I believe we've got one more in in the UK. Uh, York, the William Hill Bronte Cup Philly Stakes Group Three. Take it away. No pressure. Is this going to be a John and Thady Gosden special here? Yeah, I think it is. Um, Mimic you. I, I think her Ascot run last time behind Emily Up John was just a, a bit of a write off. Prior to that, she'd been really good in the Park Hill stakes at Doncaster beating Ashada by nearly three lengths she's got plenty in hand of these on ratings be that official ratings time form ratings look she's going to represent no value whatsoever but I'm very surprised having looked through the odds today to see her odds against to be honest because I I thought she was an odds on shot in here I had her as a four to five four to six shot in here I was quite surprised to see her odds against I think she's head and shoulders above these. She's look, she's not the kind of horse I particularly want to back at, at that sort of price. But people who do like to get it stuck into short ones, she's probably a, a, a touch of value at odds against. I just think she's got plenty in hand in here. Yes, she has the 224-day layoff to overcome, but that's not usually a problem for horses from this stable, is it? And if she runs anywhere near the form she's capable of, she ought to be winning this. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, for all that, I would be a little bit nervous of Rafe Beckett's River of Stars. She would have to overturn form from their meeting at Doncaster last year. Uh, that couldn't possibly have been River of Stars' best performance. She couldn't possibly run to form that day. She was beating 12 and a half lengths. Clearly something wasn't quite right with her. Um, and Beckett's team are in tremendous form. So if you're looking for an each-way alternative, I would present River of Stars as that, but it would be tentative at best, and it's more than likely going to the Gosden Yard. We'll switch to the Curra. And the 155 is the Gain Marble Hill Stakes. Uh, Aidan O'Brien has won this race with Coach House in 2013, Caravaggio, who was a star for him in 2016, Fairyland, who was a really good sprinter for him in 2018, and last year with Blackbeard. Uh, but he is going up against a very expensive acquisition from the Paddy Toomey Yard, and a horse that you and I were really impressed with in Cork, winning on soft to heavy ground, and that's Noche Magica, who did it really, really well that day, going up against, at the time, uh, a highly touted uh, Aidan O'Brien runner. Wasn't it uh, Alabama? Yeah, it was. Uh, he'd been all the rage after a stable tour and, and bombed out. Um, is this going to be heading to the Paddy Toomey yard, or will it be one of the two Aidan O'Brien runners, uh, one of whom is a very expensive acquisition, both by No Name Ever? Yeah, it's often tricky going against Aidan O'Brien in these kind of races, isn't it? These we're still early season, aren't we? Two year old races and he's got a couple of no nay nevers in their democracy and his majesty. But as you've already pointed out, No Shea Majika was so impressive 
on his debut at Cork, wasn't he? Look, he's going to have different ground to encounter. We were just talking off air beforehand, weren't we, about how you were saying how, how nice the weather is over in Ireland at the moment. So the ground is going to be on the quick side, I would say, which very different to the heavy ground he encountered at Cork on debut. But look, he was very impressive that day. The clock also backed up what he did. The, the time figure was a good one. I think both of the Aidan O'Brien Colts have got to step forward on what they did on debut to get close to him. But, you know, they're trained by Aidan O'Brien, so they're going to do that, aren't they? You know, even when these horses from Ballydoyle win on debut, you know that they're generally going to come forward again from from their uh, their debuts. Democracy appears to be the choice of, of Ryan Moore. Wayne Lawden's on His Majesty. Not a lot between them in the betting. And this is a really, really good race. I think a really good early season two-year-old race. But for me, I was impressed with what Noshi Majika did on debut. Backed up by the clock, uh, he'd be the one for me. It's hard to argue with that. Um, Ryan Moore did get it wrong in this race when Fairyland won. Shami Heffernan was on board that day. And it is intriguing to me that Wayne Lorden is on board uh, His Majesty because Shami rode that horse on debut. And yet Shami is going to ride an outsider for the Brown team in Bayern Bayern. And Wayne is also on board Cairo, who would be the second pick for Bally Doyle in the Irish 2000 guineas. So if you wanted further proof that Wayne is now second jockey at Bally Doyle, I think this weekend kind of proves it. Um, but it's not like Ryan has got it absolutely spot on every single time. And these two would be difficult to split. Yeah. Now, democracy was good on debut. Very, very good. And was dominant in the betting as well. Clearly, they expected him to go and win. Um, he'd been entered uh, and pulled out of a race as well, wasn't he? Yeah, it was subsequently, uh, they were going to run him in Nace, um, in the Calix race that River Tiber won. He wasn't favoured for that. River Tiber was was quite a short person favourite. Now, he'd been super impressive on his debut uh, and had a lot of hype behind him. So clearly they've decided, on because of the going, to reroute him here. But it puts him into a clash with His Majesty. And I don't know if this is, is very straightforward. I, I think I would... I think I would go overall with His Majesty. Um, just about uh, that was a very impressive performance from the Toomey horse and it's going to be very intriguing to see how that that pans out and how it goes but that performance at the Curra over five Aiden ran a horse called Unquestionable in that race as well who's a wooden basset um, we're going to see him run tomorrow in the 120 so the form is going to be tested beforehand um, he's stepping up to six furlongs uh, there's a couple in there. There's there's one that you're going to like. There's a justify out of Together Forever called City of Troy. Yeah. Second we start talking about American pedigrees, he starts to salivate. <laughs> uh, there's a Nearchos-owned showcasing out of A Kitten's Joy, Norwalk Havoc. That has me going, Ooh. Um And then there's the Wooden Bassett out of A See the Stars Mare Unquestionable, who Ryan Moore's going to be on board. That's a, That maiden looks a, a really proper one. Uh, if unquestionable was to come out and win that very impressively, it would give me more confidence in His Majesty. If he ends up getting lapped, well, then it probably is about the Paddy Toomey horse. But 
I respect democracy an awful lot. I like that. I wouldn't be at all surprised if he steps up and goes and wins. I just think it's intriguing that they were going to run him against River Tiber, and he wasn't favorite. River Tiber was odds on. I think he was seven to four on at the time. So they were willing to run him against a stable companion and lose with a view to stepping him forward, whereas His Majesty is coming straight here. Uh, and yet the jockey bookings will tell you democracy is number one. Maybe I'm completely overthinking this. Maybe they never had the intention of running democracy. Maybe it was always the case if they were just were entering him in case something happened to River Tiber, and when it didn't, then River Tiber took the engagement. But I don't think that's the case. Um, and at the prices, we're getting three to one about His Majesty now. I think it'll probably be slightly bigger. Just slightly bigger. And see what the unquestionable does. And if he manages to go and win, then it's all about his majesty. Um, and I might stick with them anyway. But very interesting in terms of jockey bookings. Before we get to the Irish 2000 guineas, uh, the Galileos are in short supply for Aidan O'Brien now. Um, Galileos are in short supply for everybody. They don't make them like that anymore. Um, I think it, it is very intriguing to look at what Aidan O'Brien has in terms of Galileos that he can run over the next few days. And it's very limited supply. He's got Farnborough, who's only had four starts, still still is trying to break his maiden. Uh, he's going to run on Saturday over seven furlongs. He's a Galileo out of a Hennessy mare. Uh, Dower House, who is beautifully bred, uh, a sister to Churchill and Clemmy, two exceptionally talented horses. Uh, she will be tilting at windmills, essentially, in the 1,000 guineas. Jackie O also goes in the 1,000 guineas. She's also beautifully bred. Uh, she's a full brother to Line of Duty, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf winner for Charlie Appleby a few years ago. Um, and she ran well on her second start after winning on debut. Uh, it's all coming pretty late to her. High Chiefess uh, is going to go over 10 furlongs. She's a Galileo out of a Kodiak mare. And then the Sub-Zero who runs tonight, uh, Galileo out of Dabarism mare. I, I thought he ran really well at Leopardstown at the beginning of the season um, and should step forward and go and win tonight. But it it is just intriguing that Galileo was such a dominant stallion and obviously Aiden had great success with him. And Johnny Ward was making an interesting observation, which I strongly disagree with, um, with Rishi Passad the other day, where he was saying that maybe Aiden's dominance was in relation to the fact that he had all the best Galileos and now he doesn't anymore and so maybe he's not going to be as dominant as he once was. I, I just... I like Johnny an awful lot, and I think he's got some fantastic takes on racing. I really don't agree with that one, though. I'm I'm intrigued to to see who the next super stallion is going to be. Obviously, we've had Sadler's Wells, Galileo, and where, where would your money be at the moment if you were if you were punting on the next super stallion? I suppose the next super stallion is Frankel, but who's the next super stallion in terms of Coolmore? And and who's going exactly. to be the Coolmore super stallion that they rely on? Um, like Donica has got a Galileo and Proud and Regal in, in the Irish 2000 guineas at, at the weekend. I think No Name Ever is an obvious candidate, but there's a problem with him. And it's similar to all the investment they made in, in Stormcat back in the day. You're not going to get a Derby winner a King George winner when it was a prestigious race, you're not going to get an ARC winner by no name ever. And if you do, it's going to be heavily influenced by stamina on the damn side. 
So who is the stallion that's going to step up and be the Galileo for Coolmore? I, I don't know. Um, I mean, it's possibly staring us in the face with Camelot. Very interested to see what Luxembourg does over the weekend. Maybe, maybe Camelot is is starting to get there. Some would argue he already is. Um, I, I think No Name Ever in general, uh, Wooden Bassett is going to be hugely important going forward. And I would argue that Camelot is probably the one that has the the potential to be the the really high class middle distance stallion going forward. For all that he's pretty well established at this point. What about yourself? Yeah, it's um, Camelot's going to be up there, isn't he? Certainly in Cornwall terms. I think the the lads, I think they'd be desperate to get a really, really top class son of Frankel, wouldn't they? And get one of those off to stud mm. and try and continue that that Galileo line through Frankel himself. I think for me, that's where they'll be putting most of their eggs over the next few years. I noticed they've tried to, they've been trying to get more and more Dubawis as well, haven't they? Over the last couple well, they, of years. They've been experimenting in general. Like they're, they're putting a lot of, yeah. we didn't even mention Justify, by the way. And he really should be the one that we're mentioning an awful lot because does Justify strike you as a stallion who will produce a, a Derby winner at Epsom and an Arc winner going forward? I honestly don't know. Just listening to, going back a couple of years and listening to Bob Baffert. Now, we've berated Bob, haven't oh, we? Jesus <laughs> Christ. I got as, a... as recently as Superstar! a few days. <laughs> yeah, dope to the bloody um, eyeballs. Allegedly, allegedly. When Justify was strutting his stuff on the track, as and obviously he's a triple crown winner on dirt, Bob Baffert, was quoted as saying he he thought Justify could be every bit as good on turf as he was on dirt. Now, whether that's part of the 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 Coolmore hype machine, having the fact that they'd already bought into him, I think had they uh, bought into him at that point. But I think they had from memory, but I can't remember exactly. But I do remember. Baffert quoting as as saying that he thought Justify could be every bit as good on turf as he was on dirt. The problem is when you've got a triple crown winner on dirt nowadays in America, you don't run them on turf. That's, that's just not happening. Yeah. It's not like the days of Secretariat who who ran on, on both turf and dirt. Um, if I was to put my neck on the block and say, will Justify become an elite turf sire, capable of siring arc winners and Derby winners, I'd have to say no, probably, at this point. But uh, we'll wait and see. I don't think Coolmore had him at that point, you know. They might have acquired his stud rights. But I don't think they'd actually fully bought into him when he completed the Triple Crown. Right. Uh, But I'm willing to be corrected on that. It wouldn't be the first time I'm wrong, and it won't be the last. But I... He's probably the one that we should talk about a little bit more, and we're going to have uh, Elena on the show in a couple of weeks' time to talk about the current bloodstock situation. We'll do it after the Derby, because uh, we'll have some of the breeze-up sales and a few of the other big bloodstock sales will have taken part- place then, and we'll also have a good idea of what's going on with the classics and what the division is currently looking like. Um, but John Magner's comments about Justify 
during the COVID lockdown in Australia when he did a Zoom presentation to the breeders and um, and uh, bloodstock agents and key owners over there. It was really telling. And he was saying, we are sending all our best mares. Any mare that is eligible to go to Justify is going to Justify. And I was going down through the list of Aidan O'Brien's horses in training for a project the other day. Do you remember they had like heavily invested in Warfront? Like any mare that was eligible to go to Warfront was going to... It's very few Warfronts at Ballydoyle now. Yeah. They've they've moved away, and it's not that they've moved away from the line. It's that they are, it's sons of Warfront are now going to the mares who are eligible. But what they're doing is there's no Galileo anymore. You still could breed to Warfront, but instead what they're doing is they're sending those mares to Justify, uh, to Dubawi. They've taken them to Japan, to Lord Canula when they could Deep Impact, and a number of other stallions. Obviously, he's no longer with us. So they've really changed things up in terms of the type of stallion they're going for. And they are obviously trying to promote their own stallions as well and use them. But I think to send as many as they have, as many high-quality mares to justify as they have, and continuing to go back to them, you don't take that risk unless you think it's going to pay off. And John Magner tends to know the right place to drill for oil. He tends to know the right place to set up a mine to get gold when it comes to bloodstock. So maybe Justify is the one that, that will that will do it and that we should pay a little bit more attention to. But it's a fascinating subplot to it because Johnny is right. Galileo was, was there and was incredibly influential for Coolmore for a very, very long time. But he was influential for a lot of trainers. And uh, his absence changes the game. And Frankels are a different type. It's a different mentality with the progeny of Frankel. They act in a different way. They're a little bit more highly strung than Galileo's were. But the same can be said about No Name Evers and how highly strung they are um, and the temperament differences that they have compared to a, a Galileo and their ability to be able to be that little bit more tractable, the, the ability to be able to race over uh, a variety of difference, uh, distances. You know, Galileo's could be six furlong, two-year-old champions, uh, but also Gold Cup winners at Ascot. You're not getting a Gold Cup winner at Ascot by no name ever. You're probably not going to get an Ascot Gold Cup winner by Justify, but you might get an ARC winner by him. Um, so it, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be really, really fascinating. And this tangent was brought to you by... <laughs> cool Morstad! Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Send your mare sorry, to I, Ten Sovereigns I, I, now! I, I kind of... Sent us off a bit on that tangent. No, that was that was all me, paid. son. Wasn't, wasn't, paid, wasn't paid by the lads. Uh, also, I'm being I'm being, <laughs> I'm being reminded by Trish to tell everybody who the real superstar stallion is, and that it's an absolute disgrace that I didn't. Wait a second, where has he gone? <gasps> oh no! Oh no! Don't don't tell me I'm learning about. Uh, breaking news on the show that probably happened about a year ago that I don't know about. Where the hell is Highland Real gone? Um, do you know, he's, he's not a horse I've given much thought to. How <laughs> dare you! <laughs> How bloody dare you! Uh, briefly, St. Mark's Basilica is going to be interesting. I'm, I'm excited to see what his project yeah, is. Yeah, I... 
I was just about to bring him up actually, as I was just having a a little scroll through the the Coolmore Stallion roster, and I'd kind of forgotten about St. Mark's Basilica. And it's going to be it's been fascinating to see his progeny because obviously he's by Siuni, but he's got Galileo on the damn side, hasn't mm. he? So uh, he's really interesting in in terms of stallion potential there. World champion three-year-old, European champion two-year-old, and Cartier, horse of the year. Uh, more importantly, it's the Group 1s, the Dewhurst, the French 2000 Guineas, the French Derby, the Eclipse, and that Irish champion stakes, which was put up on Twitter the other day by somebody I can't remember who, apologies. That was a blinding race. Absolutely love that performance. I have to find out where Highland Reel has gone. I presume he's just been lo- uh, loaned out, or some deal has been done. Oh God, he's gone to Japan. Breeders' Cup winner Highland Reel to stand in Japan in 2023. The seven-time Group 1 winner and Aidan O'Brien's all-time money-winning earner uh, goes to Okiado Stud next season. Okay. All right. Well, Japanese bloodstock is absolutely thriving and they're getting all the best stallions these days. Uh, Isn't that where Poetic Flair went? Poetic Flair and Siskin from the Irish Champions Stakes all went... Well, Siskin wasn't in the Irish Champions Stakes, but he he ran that same year. He's gone to Japan, and Poetic Flair has gone to Japan as well. Oh, interesting. Interesting yeah. times. Okay, back on track. Back on track. Uh, Greenland Stakes. So this is the race that we thought Little Big Bear was going to go for. They've decided to go to Haydock instead, uh, and it means that Art Power is your favourite at 2-1. to one. It's going to be a British invasion, and looks as though it's set for export. Uh, Garris for Charlie Hills with Ryan Moore booked, 9-4. to four. Michael O'Callaghan, who I know is busy at the Breeze Up sales this week. Uh, Colin Keane on board Twilight Jet who's a very talented horse in his day and was really good at Nace this time last year, beating New York City, who's an old favourite of ours on the podcast. Um, who do you like, Mark Milligan? Um, I like Twilight Jet. He certainly wouldn't be the first horse we've seen who was very, very precocious as a two-year-old and then hit a sort of wall as a three-year-old. And he goes well fresh, which is key, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He... He won at Nace on his comeback last season. I think he had excuses for both his two runs after that. Uh, Ascot um, in the, was it the the Diamond Jubilee? Or was it, oh no, sorry, Commonwealth Cup. I say. Um, Commonwealth Cup where he finished last to perfect power. I think he scoped badly that day. And in the July Cup after that, I think he just ended up on the wrong side, to be honest. I, I just don't think that race panned out particularly well for him. I think both of those runs were a write-off, perhaps a bit concerning that we haven't seen him since then, but his record fresh kind of makes up for that for me. Look, this isn't a strong Group 2 race, not by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think Art Power is quite the horse he was. Garris is a bit below the level of elite sprinters, I thought he kind of fell in in an abundant that wasn't a particularly good race last time. I think both of those are there to be taken off. And at the current prices, I'd more than be willing to be Twilight Jet. Yeah, I struggled to get to grips with this race, quite frankly. Uh, I I went around and around with Art Power, Garris and Twilight Jet. And I think that the simple solution is go with you and Twilight Jet because he's, he's pretty solid and he's a very fair price as well at around about five to one. 
Uh, listed race 305 over a mile four. Did we drop this race from the running order? And am I, am I mentioning it by mistake? Uh, no, because I, I've got a bit of a fancy in here, so we can we can run through it briefly. Let's go, Mark Milligan. Let's go, because this, this is one that I am intrigued to hear who you like in. Yeah, now... I was going through this because I've written I've written a full column um, which will be online this afternoon on Saturday's Curra races and this is one of the races that I, I featured in that column and when I was going through it this morning, Attilian of Joseph O'Brien's and Run for Oscar were both towards the head of the market, but I think there's doubts over both of them. Attilian has not been with Joseph O'Brien very long she was with david menuisier she ran poorly in a listed race at, at cork on her first start for the uh, the joseph o'brien yard she was even money she finished last of 11 i think also she's at her best with a little bit of dig in the ground so conditions may not be ideal also run for oscar look we're going to have relatively quick ground this weekend i don't want to be with run for Oscar towards the head of the market in a listed race over a mile and a half. And I think Johnny Murta's Mashur will just end up being too quick for them. I think he's just got too much of a turn of foot for them. He disappointed a little bit on heavy ground in the Irish Cambridge on his comeback, but that was over a mile. I think he's better over further. He won at Cork over 10 furlongs last time. He's got to step up another two furlongs this time. And he's done that once before, and that was in the Duke of Edinburgh at Royal Ascot last year. But I don't think he was right that day. He was beaten 40-odd lengths. He can't have been right. For me, I think he'll stay a mile and a half. He's got Monjur on the damn side of his pedigree. Gets speed from the Kingman side of his pedigree. I... I'm very keen on, on Mashur in here. I think conditions will be perfect for him, and I think he'll just do them for a turn of foot. I like it. I particularly like the four to one that we're getting about him as well. Uh, ben Cohen, Johnny Murta, Johnny's horses are running well too. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, Irish 2000 Guineas, Tattersalls, Irish 2000 Guineas. We've got Royal Scotsman, who has been supplemented for the race and is the two to one favourite. Jamie Spencer rides uh, in place of Jim Crowley for Paul and Oliver Cole. Um, and is the two-to-one favourite. High Royal, Oshin Murphy, and Kevin Ryan bids to prove that that was no fluke in the 2000 Guineas when he was runner-up to Caldine, uh, 9-2 to two and on the drift. Proud and Regal has been supported today, uh, a 7-1 to one shot. Um, I was pretty underwhelmed with his comeback run. Uh, higher up in the betting is uh, Paddington for Aidan O'Brien and Ryan Moore. Pop quiz, hot shot. What year did Aidan O'Brien last win the Irish 2000 Guineas? Ah, now I can answer this straight away because I wrote about this in my column earlier. 2017, Churchill. Well done. Well done, sir. Nicely played. <laughs> um, the two Harrington horses that Kate talked to us about earlier on, Bold Discovery, uh, Billy Lee on board, and uh, Karshamar uh, with Shane Foley on board. And um, she, yeah, she seemed positive enough about their chances while expecting both to improve, particularly Bold Discovery. But at least he gets his ground. Um, Aidan O'Brien's team is rounded off by Cairo, uh, who Wayne Lorden will ride, and Chamey's on board Age of Kings, who's been bitterly disappointing. Uh, I had high hopes for that fella in the Coventry last year. 
Uh, it didn't quite come off, but his form has been okay since. He was only beaten a length and a quarter behind Chartage and a length and a half by Proud and Regal last time out, but it wouldn't be good enough in the context of this race. Who is going to win the Tattersalls Irish 2000 Guineas? Mark Milligan. Paddington. Let's go! <laughs> I, I really like Paddington in here. Look, he's got to improve to beat the likes of Royal Scotsman and High Royal, but he's done absolutely nothing wrong to date, has he? He's won a maiden, he's won a handicap, he's won a listed race last time, he's progressed each time. And it, yes, we've got to go back six years to find Aidan O'Brien winning this race, but I really like Paddington's progressive profile. Royal Scotsman sets the standard, and I think there's an argument to say that where well, he should have been second behind Chaldean last time at Newmarket and might even have gone close to winning if he'd had a better run through. Didn't do his chances any good that day by taking a really fierce grip. I think the switch to Jamie Spencer will help in that regard because Spencer should be able to get him switched off. Royal Scotsman... Absolutely sets the standard, but he's not a world beater for me. I'm yet to be convinced about High Royal. Mm. Was it greenness that caused him to hang at Newmarket, or is there just something in there that that makes him a little bit less than straightforward? I think. I think there might be a quirk. Yeah, I, I'll probably give him the benefit of the doubt just because he simply had the four runs. But I, you'd like to have seen him look more straightforward, wouldn't you? Yeah. I, I think Royal Scotsman and High Royal set a good standard. I don't think it's an insurmountable standard, and it's a standard I think Paddington can bridge, so I was more than happy to put him up in here. I, I'm delighted to hear you say that, because I really like this horse's chances as well. And, and look, he needs to improve on what he's done so far. There's absolutely no question about that. Um, on a straight ratings perspective, you've got High Royal on 115, Royal Scotsman on 118, and then Paddington's down on 105. He's not even the best Coolmore rated horse in this race. He's not even the, the highest rated Aidan O'Brien runner in the race. Proud and Regal's got 112 for Dunica, Cairo's got 107. But it's the potential of what he could be. And I... I would take on board the fact that he has a high, ca- high head carriage and that's not going to be very aesthetically pleasing for everybody. There's an argument about how much improvement is there to come in the context of how he's been winning his races, but I would I would make the argument that that handicap win at the start of the season, he only just did enough, and I think he only just did enough against Drumroll, uh, his stable companion the other day as well. But even on that, plenty of people will, will look at him and say, well, that's how many Aidan O'Brien Classic winners ran in a handicap two starts before they rolled into a Classic? Not many. But were they supposed to just pass up that opportunity of winning a handicap with him with the rating he'd been given? He went in there off a mark in 97. I'm pretty sure he was a, a pretty decent price the night before. I'm pretty sure the early prices were around 9-4. to four. They might have even been 5-2. to two. He was thumped in the overnight prices to five to four, uh, and then drifted on track to six to four and won quite well. Uh, I covered him for Talksport on his debut at Ascot, 
and he was all at sea. He hated the undulations of the track. He looked green as grass, and it was really unusual for an Aidan O'Brien juvenile to head over to the UK for their debut and be that green. But boy, did he show the benefit of it in his next start at the Curragh, when he absolutely bolted up. And I, I really like what he's done so far. And the way they've talked about him in terms of what the plans were, he was heading to the French 2000 Guineas. Aidan had, had talked about, we could see him as an Irish or French Guineas horse, but I think he said French first and French Derby horse. That was the agenda that he was going for. Well, here he rocks up to the Irish 2000 Guineas. He's probably going to go to the French Derby afterwards. Um, you've got a, a trainer who's won this race seven times. Yes, he hasn't won it for the last six years, but I think he's got a, a really strong prospects here, and particularly in an open renewal. Um, I had Dennis Coakley on the show a few weeks ago after the Guineas, and he nominated the Derby for Royal Scotsman. He wanted to see him go up and trip, and I'm sure he would be fairly bullish about him this weekend, the fact that the Connections have decided to supplement him and, and come here, and maybe this is a simple one. Maybe we should just be sticking with him, um, taking the view that, look, the, the performance is there for you. Um, he was a very consistent horse last season. His form tied in really well with, with Caldean. He was second in a Dewhurst, third in a 2,000 guineas. He's blindingly obvious, shouldn't we all just back him? There's something about that horse that I just don't quite trust, and I can't tell you what it is. But there's something about him that just doesn't appeal to me at two to one. I don't believe High Royal's performance in the 2,000 guineas. That ground was awful. I think he benefited from a really clever ride from Oshin Murphy. And the horse did terrifically well uh, to, to get as close as he did. Clearly, he has ability. But is he going to back it up at the Curra on good ground? I'm not so sure. And I think good ground will bring about improvement in, in Paddington. I think it, the Siuni has the potential to be much better on this surface. He's been restricted to... It was good ground at Ascot when he bombed out. So you could certainly argue that he's not going to like this surface at all. And his three runs subsequently have been yielding soft, heavy, soft. What makes you think he's going to be good on good ground? I think it was the undulations at Ascot that caught him out. I don't think it was the ground. And I'm trusting him to be to be much better here. Um, Aidan O'Brien's first domestic turf winner of the season was Paddington. I think he'll be his first classic winner of the year as well. Four to one. Let's go. Anything else that catches your eye in that race? No, not particularly. No, I, I, I felt that this was between the top two in the betting because they represent the strongest form lines, and Paddington, who for me is the only one out of the rest who's got the potential to be an awful lot better than he's shown. The, the rest, I think, they're all pretty much of a muchness. I don't think this is a particularly strong renewal to be honest and I'll be disappointed if Paddington can at least make the first three and perhaps improve past Royal Scotsman like you said it's look we could just be missing the blindingly obvious couldn't we Royal Scotsman the horse with the best form wins the race kind of thing mm. but at the risk of of going all Brian Meehan it's not 1991 is it <laughs> Oh my god! Just the last the, when Paul Cole used to train classic winners. Oh, I'm, my I'm joking, god. Paul. I'm joking, Paul. If you're listening, I don't want to get myself in trouble with yet another trainer. Blacklisted by Richard Hannon, 
blacklisted by Brian Mean, and now blacklisted by the Colts. Because, you know, in this day and age, you can't express an opinion or have a bit of crack. <laughs> God forbid you'd have a bit of crack on a podcast where we're talking hope- about racing and trying to <laughs> big up the sport and have a bit of fun. Oh, how dare you, Milligan? So offensive. Uh, I'm offended for them. (laughs) I'm just going to shut up. Oh, dear. (laughs) I would would hope people have listened to enough of me now to know that when I come out with stuff like that, my my tongue is very, very firmly lodged in the cheek. Yeah, I'll tell you what. There's plenty of people who who don't do it tongue-in-cheek. And you're not that kind. You're not malicious, so... Uh, you're having the crack, and if you can't take a joke, well, then I don't know what to say to you. Um, I do wonder about Kate's horse, Karshamar. Uh, I, I like that performance at Dundalk. It was a surprising win because he'd been bitterly disappointing on his debut at the Curra, but apparently the homework had been very good, um, and he defied a big old drift in the market to beat Unless. Unless has come out and won since. It's a big step up, boss. Kate was saying how well the horse is working and, and they seem very happy with him. I'm not saying he can win it, but I think he could go close. Uh, and from the purpose of doing a reverse forecast in here, I'm probably going to go, I'm going to do a straight forecast, Paddington and, and Kershamar. Uh, if you're a regular listener to the show, you'll know how highly I regarded Proud and Regal last year. And I was delighted to see him win a Group 1 in France at the end of the season. Uh, his form tied in with Al Rifa, who would have been a dominant favourite here had they gone for the race, and obviously he's on the sidelines, um, or, or is at least skipping this race. I was alarmed to hear Jane Mangan talk about his physique, how he's just a tiny little thing and there's not a whole lot of scope, and uh, this was before the Irish Derby trial, which used to be the Derrenstown Stud Derby trial, but is now just Derby trial stakes, uh, when Jessica Arrington's horse came out and won. Now, the positive is he was well-backed, he was very heavily supported, and clearly they thought he was going to run an awful lot better than he actually did. It's disappointing that he didn't quite find as much as was expected. Um, Dunnick's horses are running well, and maybe this trip will suit him better, but I wouldn't have had him down as an Irish Guineas runner. I would have had him down as a Derby runner, and yet they're taking a step back in distance with him, and combine that with Jane's assessment of him in the Paradering that he just lacks scope, um, was quite diminutive compared to his rivals, and that's exactly how he looked in the race as well. Like you compare him and his physique to Jessica Harrington's horse, they're like different species. So I, I think this could be a, an open enough race, um, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if it's an Irish one too. Is Cairo a player? Because that couldn't possibly have been his true running in Dubai, and we didn't back him, neither of us backed him, but we had talked about him quite extensively last year with a view to the Breeders' Cup. Is is this the race where if he was to roll off in front, could he just stay there, potentially, and, and do battle with Paddington towards the end? Yeah, it's possible. And I think, despite being sired by Quality Road, there's an argument to say that Cairo's best performance has been on turf, as opposed to either on the all-weather at Dundalk or certainly you can scrub off that made run where he just he just didn't, for whatever reason, he just didn't seem to, to handle it at all. And there's a, without wanting to go into too much depth, there's an awful lot 
that goes into being effective on dirt other than just pedigree. Mm. And I think the fact that he'd never trained on dirt and hadn't ever raced on dirt, and I think the whole thing just caught him out there, didn't it? Um, so I think you can just use strike a line through that Maidan run. For me, his best performance has come on turf in that killer villain at Leopardstown last season. He's Galileo on the damn side, isn't he? So, yeah. you know, there's there's plenty of turf influence there. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a possibility he could be better than we've already seen getting back on turf, which I, I think will suit him much better than, than the dirt did last time. Yeah, I, he's going in the straight forecast combination. It's going to be Paddington uh, with a straight forecast with Cairo and a straight forecast with Karshamar. Um, I just I can see him outrunning his odds and running a huge race again. Like on this side of the world, he was sent off nine to four favorite for the UAE Derby, so there was huge betting confidence in him from Coolmore. Um, and it just didn't quite happen on the day for him, and yeah, it probably was just the the combination of the dirt and um, the step up in distance and more than likely just the dirt. He just didn't take to it full stop. Um, he just, if a horse has beaten 35 lengths, you just have to draw a line through it and to go, right, we'll, we'll come back another day. And his next start is a classic. He might not be good enough to win it, but he could certainly be good enough to be, to be involved in the places. Uh, so look, we're going for a cool more win. Aidan O'Brien back in the winner's enclosure. Paddington. Uh, I'll go with Cairo in the straight forecast and I'll mix in Karshamar as well. Massive confidence in Paddington. Um, who's your straight forecast? Uh, Paddington to win Royal Scotsman second for me. Okay. Boo! Boo! <laughs> the, the third favourite beats the favourite. Oh! <laughs> Come no on, Milligan! For originality Come on, Milligan! You can do better. We get a blinding Tattersall's Gold Cup on the Sunday, 2.45 on RTE. Uh, is this on ITV? No, it's not. Okay. Um, racing TV as well. Uh, Vidani is the general 6-4 to four favorite ahead of Baybridge, 7-4, to four, champion stakes winner. Then we get Luxembourg at 11-4, to four, and it's pretty much whatever price you want then about the rest. Uh, Kate Source, uh, Trouvance, dual winner in France last season in group company, 50-1 to one shot, Pisbadil, who... Oof, Oh dear, Pisbadil. The high hopes I had for you. Uh, 25s in Lafayette, who's a really consistent horse for the Nolme Yard and absolutely entitled to take his chance here. Was unlucky at Chester the last day and could absolutely outrun his odds, but will do well to get in the top three. This is a proper race, Mark Milligan, but who's going to come out on top? Yeah, we've, we've got two races for the price of one here, really, haven't we? Got Vadeni, Baybridge and Luxembourg, who should be in a race of their own. And Lafayette, Pisbadil, and Trevenance, who will presumably be fighting out for for fourth place. Look, there's very little, certainly on form and in ratings terms, between Verdani, Baybridge, and Luxembourg. I think on their day, any one of those three could win this. And for me, it was a simple enough choice in that I I can't split the three really on form terms so I'm just going to go with the horse that's the biggest price of the three and for me that's Luxembourg he's already beaten Verdani now we have to quantify that don't we by, by saying that in the Irish champion stakes last season 
Badain didn't have a great trip that he got into a bit of trouble would probably have been close between the two if he'd got a run. Baybridge finished ahead of Vedeni when they both made their comebacks in France last time. Vedeni finished ahead of Baybridge in the Coral Eclipse last time. We've got Luxembourg, who's finished ahead of Vedeni. Do you see where I'm going here? There's, there's basically nothing between these three for me. I'm quite happy to strike a line through Luxembourg's comeback run. I thought he looked very, very rusty that day. I thought they'd left plenty to work on. I think he'll he'll leave that well behind. It was just a simple enough choice for me. Just go with the one who's the biggest price of the three, and that's Luxembourg. Ruby Walsh was on duty for Racing TV with Gary O'Brien that day, and he put out the warnings about Luxembourg. He could not have spelled it out any clearer that Luxembourg didn't look right in the paddock, uh, looked had a ton of condition on him and just looked a bit leery and that he was clearly going to need the run. And that's exactly how he ran. Uh, mm. I think if you hadn't heard those comments and then you're watching the race on your phone or you're just watching a replay on racing TV very quickly afterwards, you'd be unbelievably disappointed with him and think, oh God, that's is this fella ever going to be what he was last year? Um but the context of the comments from Ruby Walsh put a different spin on things. And he ran that blinder in the 2000 Guineas last year behind the ill-fated Caribus, and his comeback was the Royal Whip, and he was pretty underwhelming there as well. Now, he won, but he was underwhelming in that. And the whole point that Aidan O'Brien was making when I interviewed him afterwards was, look, that wasn't, we weren't, training him for the Royal Whip. We're training him for the Irish Champion Stakes in the Ark. And in hindsight, he was so good in the Irish Champion Stakes, it was probably a race that took a little bit too much out of him with the view to the Ark. Particularly yeah. on the back of... You know, he, he was a prime candidate to bounce to the moon. You know, he'd had a hard race um, on the back of a comeback run. Maybe he would just bounce. Was that the true definition of the bounce factor? Maybe I've just done a Graham Rodway on myself there. But <laughs> I, would, I, I would argue that it was asking a lot to be able to go. And I thought he'd win the arc. And that ground was horrible as well. It was brutal ground that day. Um, so I'd say his comeback at the Curra was just a case of, look, look, get him out, lads. Let's, let's get him going. It's very significant that they didn't run him in France. He was going for the pre canne That was the intended target. And suddenly they, had a, they pulled a crazy Ivan and ran him on a day when Ryan was banned and couldn't ride. And that's significant as well, because Ryan would have wanted to be on board him if he's going to win. So you take him out of the group one that you were building him up to towards, and you run him on a day when Ryan Moore is not available. I think they knew he wasn't going to perform that day. But in this race, this race he can, he can fire. And this race he'll be significantly better. Um, he needs to be. Because the comeback run was underwhelming and he's going up against Baybridge who ran a blinder in the pre-Ganny. Uh, and Videni ran well too, but he was a little bit disappointing. I think Videni had the typical French comeback. We don't really care if we yeah. win. You know That that seems to be the modus operandi of, of most French trainers. They're not gutted if they lose uh, first time out. He had a similar similar comeback last season as well. He did. Essentially, I'm, I'm with you on this. I don't understand the price discrepancy 
uh, the official ratings are Luxembourg 122, Baybridge 122, Vidani 124. If you'd asked me at the start of the season, which of these three would I be with over 10 furlongs in the Telestalls Gold Cup? Instantly, I'd be saying Luxembourg. And I'd be telling you Luxembourg at two to one or a sub two to one. Instead, you're getting 11 to four because he looked a little bit ring rusty on debut. But Ruby Walsh warned us all. Not today, folks. Not today. So I would trust Luxembourg. I would trust the O'Brien team to have Luxembourg back. And I think this will be, this will be an important one to get on the CV. Interestingly, I remember the days when Coolmore used to farm this race. The Black Sam Bellamy days. And he drifted from three to one out to six to one and won by 10 lengths. Um, it's not really that race for them anymore. They've won it three times in the last 10 years. Magical was a superstar. Lancaster Bomber was okay. They haven't targeted it with their elites in the past or in the last 10 years. And even when they do, sometimes they need the run. So they've, they've treated this race differently to previous seasons. But I think Luxembourg will win. I have great belief in this horse. I have great faith in him for the season. And uh, I'm very excited about what he can do. And I think he'll be back on track here. And the 11-4 to 4 is just too big. Uh, Videni has to improve from his Group 1 comeback. I'm sure he will. Baybridge, we interviewed James Savage doing a Sir Michael Stout stable tour a few weeks ago, and he reported him to be in great form. They were very confident about France, but that he would come on for it. I think Baybridge is the danger. Um, I think it's going to be Luxembourg and Baybridge with Fedaini third, and I would take on board everything you said about how unlucky he was in the Irish Champion Stakes. Still think when the gaps appeared, he didn't quicken up in the way that you would have expected him to. So it's a simple matter of price, and 11-4 to 4 Luxembourg, let's go. Is the Aga Khan going to be in the winner's enclosure with the Tattestall's Irish 1,000 guineas? We've got Tahira, a dominant favourite, but 7-4 to four on is the most recent price that we've seen. And it's gone even shorter. 9-4 to four on she is now. Uh, Aidan O'Brien's Meditate, who was behind her in the Moyglare and then well behind her in the 1,000 guineas, 11-2. to two. Uh, There's a pacemaker in there, Tawara. Forwards, number well, you would imagine, 10s. Uh, Jackie O, 12 to 1, one of the few Galileos left for the Ballet Doyle team. Uh, and Jessica Harrington's Eternal Silence, who ran very well behind Tahira and Meditate in the Moyglare. And Kate told you all about her prospects earlier on. Um, straight up with you, the Dermot Wild Horse is going to take a lot of beating. But on the ground, I'm with Meditate. I suspected you would be. Your confidence behind Meditate is unwavering, isn't it? <laughs> and, it, um, it didn't do me any favours on Irish Champions Weekend. It did me no favours at Newmarket on the Champion Juveniles Weekend, or whatever they're calling that, Future Champions Weekend, but it served me really well at the Breeders' Cup and then slapped me in the face in the guineas. <laughs> I suppose there's an argument, isn't there? We were, we were just, you yourself were just mentioning the bounce factor, weren't you? Uh, Tahira is backing up just three weeks after running eyeballs out in that that was a proper proper race with Morge wasn't it yeah in the 1000 guineas those fillies they left it all out there didn't they the pair of them and you'd have to say for those people who are prepared to take the long odds on you, you've got to be hoping that she's come out of that all right just three weeks later she's look she's the most likely winner isn't she not telling anyone anything 
they don't already know. Um, would I necessarily back her at one to two, four to nine, or whatever, given how hard she ran in the 1,000 guineas? Absolutely not. Wouldn't be the kind of bet I would even entertain getting interested in for all that she's the most likely winner. I was interested in a, a filly that, that obviously you're very familiar with, Jackie O, mm-hmm. in here. She's got to improve. She's got to improve markedly, hasn't she? But I think getting on better ground, I think she will improve. And for me, I thought she had an, an each-way shot in here. She's a double-figure price. She won on debut. She was beaten at a shortish price last time, but I think she still showed a little bit of inexperience there. She's obviously been passed over by by Ryan Moore, but Jamie Heffernan is on board. I just thought she was interesting, potentially, from an each-way angle, or if you can find the market a, a without the favourite market. Yeah, that, that would definitely be an, an intriguing way of playing it. What does... Tuesday, Empress Josephine and Jackie O all have in common? Ooh. I think you've got me with that one. They all won the same maiden at Nace. Ah. Uh, which is the yeah, race right. that Jackie O won on her debut. And they would all subsequently go on to run in the Irish 1000 Guineas. Tuesday finished second before winning the Oaks. Uh, Empress Josephine won, and now here comes Jackie O to try and follow up as well. I I didn't, I wasn't gutted by her defeat the last day. She lacked experience. It was a reasonably quick turnaround. It was disappointing that she was beaten, but I didn't, I didn't lose all faith in her, and I think she retains an awful lot of potential and and a lot of of interest. Um. I know some people are voicing concerns about Tahira's record uh, or her ability to handle the ground. I would have no doubt about Tahira's uh, ability to handle good ground at the weekend, possibly even good to firm. Because her sister had no problem with it. Her sister thrived on it, uh, Tawarna. Um, Not only one on good, but one on good to firm ground as well. So there's, there's nothing about her, and, and a Sayuni should be okay on it as well. I know that she was a Sharmadal, so you could argue that, but I, I mean, you, you write about racing every single day. Does a Sayuni worry you on on, uh, on good to firm ground? No, it wouldn't, wouldn't bother me unduly. I, I don't see any reason why Tahira wouldn't be just as effective on decent ground. And she's Kate Cross on the dam side and, and Kate Cross is a, a very good on, on quick ground. So there wouldn't be much in her pedigree that would, would put me off. Definitely not. Yeah. Sioni's best son is St. Mark's Basilica and he had no problem with good ground. So mm. that's not the thing that would worry me. What would worry me about her is exactly what you talked about, the bounce factor. And Tony Keenan is now with the Irish field and he wrote a really interesting piece and I'm, I, don't want to just quote directly from him because I'm taking his work then, if that's the case. But he wrote about Dermot Wells' record with a group one class horses and quick turnarounds. Basically doesn't do it. It's very, very rare for him to do it. I think the example he gave was a horse who backed up at, at the Royal Meeting and, and managed to do it. But that it's a rarity for Dermot Wells 
to very quickly turn out a horse um, in group one company within the space of under 25 days. And this is 21. So on paper, there's a lot in her favor and she should go and win. But you're being asked to take nine to four on. And that was a huge run at Newmarket and it's a quick turnaround. No, not for me. Um, I can't believe for a second that was Meditate's true running. Not for a second do I believe that was her true running. And Ryan Moore has committed to her, as you would expect him to. Um, by the way, maybe my theory about Wayne Lorden being the number two jockey at Doyle is complete bollocks because he's going to be on board Jackie O. Uh, but then again, he did win the maiden on Jackie O earlier in the campaign. I, I don't think it would have been too much of a choice for him, but I would rather back meditate each way than lump onto Hira to win, and I'd rather back Jackie O each way than back to here as well, quite frankly. So I'm probably going to do some kind of reverse forecast here with the two belly doyle horses, Meditation, Jackie O. Um, and Meditate gets her ground. So if she's going to turn the form around on Tahira, if there's ever an opportunity for Meditate to beat Tahira, it's this weekend. She gets her ground. Yeah. I don't think Tahira will be inconvenienced by the ground, but she might be inconvenienced by the quick turnaround. Um, whereas Meditate shouldn't be. She's battle-hardened. She's very experienced. She danced every dance last year, you know, from Royal Ascot all the way through. She's a class act, and I think she'll win. I think it's a very, very fair price. What What is the best price we can get about her, Trish? 11 to 2. Oh, so the sevens is gone. Oh, bugger. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go with Meditate. Final selection for you? Uh, Jackie O, each way for me. Come on, Milligan! Fortunes to be made. Uh, the Galanul Stakes. 425, 10 furlongs. Pivotal Trigger, who Kate talked to us about earlier on, uh, making his seasonal reappearance. Drum roll is in here for Aiden and Ryan. Uh, six to five shot. And we'll test the Paddington form because it was second to him last time out. Uh, I doubt very much that this is a fella who's going to be rocking up um, to the Derby. Is there still time to supplement? Maybe there is. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but he does hold an entry for the King out of the Seven Stakes. And that derby is ripe for something to emerge from left field and come along. Uh, it's probably not going to be him, but is he going to be winning this race? I'm hoping he does. I'm hoping Paddington obviously wins the 2,000 guineas, at which point he pays a very handsome compliment to Drumroll, doesn't he? He wasn't that far behind him. I, I really love Drumroll's pedigree. Mm. by Deep Impact, out of maybe a Galileo mare. I just think he's he's been screaming out for 10 furlongs plus, hasn't he, in his two starts to date. They've both come over a mile. He's, I think he's odds against. He's 6-5. to five. speaking at the moment. Yeah. Look, if Paddington wins the 2,000 guineas, he's not going off 6-5, to five, is he, drumroll? Yeah. He goes off four to six, four to seven in here. I think he'll be absolutely suited by stepping up to a mile and a quarter. I think he'll be even better when he gets over a mile and a half. But he's very much the one to be in here for me. Leading light won this race for Edna Brown in 2013. He's won it with subsequent horses, many horses subsequent and, and plenty of horses before that as well. Um, but the leading light angle just proves that they can win this with a good horse. Uh, Adelaide was pretty decent as well. Constantinople wasn't wasn't awful. They they haven't all been superstars, but I think he'll win. 
Um, he's steadily progressing. He's only had the two starts. That run behind Paddington was was a cracker, and he should be suited by the ground as well. Um, yeah, I like Drumroll quite a lot, and I think he'll win. I think you'd you'd expect him to win this. If he wins this, you you think they'll go King Edward the Seventh at Royal Ascot, won't they? He's got an entry in that. Be be right up his alley that race. It, it's a funny one because they have a multitude of options for the King Edward the Seventh stakes. And yet there's probably only going to be one runner for them in the Derby. Mm. It's just it's odd how this thing can play out from time to time. Um and just further goes to emphasize that if you are saying, Oh well, Aiden retains the confidence in August Roden and saying he's the number one for the Derby, what do you expect him to say? He's not going to be, be saying, oh, geez, that was woeful in the 2000 Guineas and we'll do well to ever win a race with him again. Um, but who else do they have? I'm just very quickly going down through. San Antonio has gone out to 30 to 1 today, which is unusual for a fixed odds bookmaker. Espionage hasn't run yet. Gulu Gong was taken out of the Lingfield Derby trial. Paddington runs in the Irish 2000 Guineas. Adelaide River is not good enough. Greenland, maybe. But he's probably going to go French Derby. Covent Garden, no, not good enough. Yeah, there's there's very little there. If I was to push you right now for a dart at the Derby, and I know we said this on Sunday, but who would your current bet be? Ooh. Look, for an actual win bet, I'd probably have to stick with military order because I think he's just about achieved the best form, certainly of those horses that were coming off the trials. It was an artistic star, wasn't it, that I put up as a, a massive price yeah. the other day. But I'd, I'd retain interest in Passenger if they supplement him as well, because I thought he was really unlucky in the Dante, and he probably should have won that. I couldn't recommend backing him at this stage, though, because he still needs to be supplemented. I, you were just mentioning the supplementation period. I don't think we've come to that yet, have we? So no. he could still be in there. <laughs> but I have a feeling it's Wednesday. Yeah. May 29th. Supplement if they supplement Passenger, I, I'm going to stick Monday. with because I've got a lot of... Yeah, I've got a lot of faith in this horse. And if... So Michael Stout thinks it's the correct thing to do to supplement passenger and I'm not going to argue with him um, I'm going to stick with the horse I put up on Sunday Alder and I'm going to go back him again because the 40s has disappeared he's now best price 33s and if you like August Roden and I'm not putting you off hey it benefits me if he wins I'll be very happy if August Roden goes and wins um, but he's got form with him I think he was I, th- I thought San Antonio was good at Chester, but I thought Alder was just a little bit unlucky with the way he maybe was a little bit, not so much unbalanced, but he lost a position at a vital time and then he hung left. And that's not ideal going to Epsom, but you're getting 33 to 1. And this has all the hallmarks of a Wings of Eagles, uh, Serpentine, Adar Derby. Adar was a big price that day, and was an even bigger price in the morning. 
It's got the, all the hallmarks of a derby that's going to be blown to pieces. So I'll, I'll take a swing at something at a big price. Uh, all right, my man, let's get your best bet for the weekend for the final Fulham Podcast Posse. Where are we getting the gravy? Oh, going to go all the way back to the start of the podcast and the 225 uh, Haydock Covey. G-H and a H. Okay. Uh, I am going to give you a patent. This is the patent that I'm going to do. And I suggest that you do it too. Paddington. Meditate. Luxembourg. Let's go! All aboard the Ballydoyle gravy train. Happy days. <laughs> and I seriously thought about making this a lucky 15. But I don't know if I trust Little Big Bear at his price. If Little Big Bear was to drift to a considerably bigger price than the one he is now, uh, ironically enough, I might change my mind. As things stand, I would be with Cold Case in that race. Um, and it might very well be Lucky 15, but I hope Little Big Bear bounces back, but the, the money's going to be on Cold Case. Uh, that's it. We are going to do a Tote 10 to Follow special next week. Jamie Benson returns to the final Furlong Podcast Towers, virtual towers, that is. Um, and so we'll break down the key horses to follow. Love 10 to Follow. It's a great competition. It'll be a lot of fun, and Jamie's always welcome on the show. Um, always a great guest some fantastic insights uh, and we'll have another guest along with us as well so that's going to be a lot of fun looking forward to that uh, and more great content coming your way as well we had Stuart Williams on the show uh, yesterday and uh, the only reason we haven't released it yet is because the Huey Morrison show is doing so well and Huey drops a lot of bombs in that podcast have you listened to the Huey Morrison podcast on the phone he, he, he does drop a lot he, he, say, he says it like it is doesn't he I like Huey got a lot of time for Huey his comments about the BHA handicap system is fascinating. <laughs> and particularly when I put it to him that, hold on a second, racing is about integrity. Ronan, and I'm not accusing any British trainer or Irish trainer, for that matter, of this. I said, if Ronan McNally is getting thrown out of the sport for 10 plus years for an elaborate thing, but essentially running horses not to obtain best possible finishing position, if... It's now an agreed upon and accepted practice amongst trainers, an unspoken truth, that in order to benefit from the handicap system, you have to run horses when they're not at their best and you know they're not at the best. Then how is that good for the integrity of the sport? And he went, well, it's not. It's not. No. But if you run them on their merits every single time, you're not going to have a yard. It's fascinating. And it's so multi-layered and so complex. And he just tells it like it is. And the, the best part about it was, as soon as we ended, he said, Julie Harrington is coming to my yard next week for the first time. Finally, she's going to arrive. He goes, no, I'm not so sure she'll turn off. <laughs> I said, well, probably what will happen is she'll pull up to your yard with her speakers blaring this episode out so that you know that she knows that she's listened. Um, but I, I, I absolutely love the guy. He speaks so... And I don't agree with everything that Huey Morrison has to say. I don't agree with his stance on the fixture list, for example. That does need to be butchered. And Huey... I'm paraphrasing here, but he doesn't agree with that. So... And that's a, a multi-layered, very complex issue, and we'll get into that as well. Uh, by the way, if you haven't uh, seen Samantha, Martin, Samantha Martin's thread on the fixture list. I highly recommend you have a look at it. She's she's broken down the the changes to the fixture list and the plans within the BHA uh, for it very, very eloquently. 
and um, she's a great asset to this sport. And to have a, a, a young woman like her who's so actively engaged in the sport, so excited by it and willing to speak her mind, she's got a very bright future in this game, a really bright future, and she's wise beyond her years. So if, if you're looking for insight into it, have a look at that, but we'll be talking about it on the show next week as well. All right, from Mark Milligan, from myself, Emma Kennedy, uh, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy your weekend. Bring on the gravy. God bless.